Welcome everyone to another of our Monday Sermon Debrief podcasts. We are grateful that you have taken the time to hit play and uh, listen as we take a few moments to recap what happened in the life of our church uh, the day before. I'm here with uh, Pastor Caleb Hall, Pastor Kevin Dow, Pastor Sergey Lee. And uh, in the course of our conversations together on a Monday, as we sit down and review everything that happened yesterday, we talk about the sermon there are some uh, life group questions that were submitted that weren't addressed that we will touch on, uh, maybe some further application. Uh, these guys might have some, uh, want, might want to give me the gears on some ways in which I could have improved uh, yesterday's sermon, which I'm uh, very much open to. But I will let you brothers go first and ask if there's any ways in particular that uh, God's word ministered, ministered to your own heart, your own life, and then we can go from there. That whole idea of the orbit of, you know, redemption mm -hmm. was great. I loved that Copernican revolution idea. We want to, we want to be, you know, we want to revolve around the sun, not self, not, sure. you know, anything else. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was a compelling way to begin a sermon on remembering redemption. Sure. So. Good. I think the, along the similar lines, when you said God orders our lives around his redemption, that, I mean, that, that to me just says every, everything in my life is being ordered by God around his plan of redemption. That just, that to me just puts a perspective on my life and the, and the way I view uh, God in the mundane moments of my life that is significant. And that was just really helpful. And Great. when you go through the, he, in, he, he invites us to enjoy redemption. He calls us to remember redemption, mm -hmm. and then he calls us to render according to redemption. And, and that just, it's a way of ordering how we live and view people, things, sure. events of our lives. It was just really, um, it was really a, a big lens for me. It was just a helpful way to look at everything. So as I'm hearing that on Sunday morning, I'm thinking, as we're sitting here in the pew and as we're anticipating a work week ahead or, you know, some challenges with the family or, a, you know, a shopping trip that we need to go on, whatever it is, mundane, important, major, minor, my life, because I've been redeemed by Jesus, orbits mm -hmm. and is ordered around redemption. Yep. That is the single greatest centripetal factor yes. in, in my human life. And so, I mean, that's incredibly practical mm -hmm. because it takes all of those seemingly disjointed things, the mundane and the majors, yeah. and it says it's, it's all about God. That's it's right. all about what he's done. It's all about his glory. So anyways, just, it's interesting how a profound thought like that helps to bring order to what might look like a disordered week sure. or what might look like a, why did this take place? Why, you know, sin, suffering, yeah. sanctification, you know, all these different things are taking place and it's, no, 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 it, it's, it's all orbiting. It's all centered on redemption. And that really comes through in Paul writing, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, pretty mundane, pretty everyday. You all to the glory of God mm -hmm. because you have been brought into the orbit of his redemption because he's revolving 
uh, our lives around, he's ordering it and revolving our lives around redemption, everything becomes meaningful. So uh, you can find joy in the Lord and whatever it is that you find your hand to do that obviously isn't contrary to his word. And that's why we say that there are matters of eternal significance happening in the mundane moments that's of right. our lives. That's right. There's, uh, to borrow an analogy from <clears throat> another realm, um, I think this is in Paul Tripp's book. Uh, it used to be called What Did You Expect? I think it's just called Marriage now. I think he's updated it. And he talks about how we, we think that our lives, we think our, in this case, in the book he's writing, relationships, marriages are built on these massive moments. But life doesn't have that very many massive moments. It's mostly moments of just like a word spoken, a small action taken, a regular Wednesday morning, or, <laughs> but our lives are built with those moments, brick by brick, little by little. And uh, if we see that the Lord is, he cares about all of those types of moments, um, we can see that yeah, they become important. And then we want to seek his help to make sure that they're ordered around what he's done for us in Christ. There's always this like move to like sensationalism and like that mm -hmm. that next big like spiritual high sure. or like that mountaintop moment. And uh, I love the title of the book that uh, Michael Horton puts together, <laughs> yes. Ordinary. Sure. Like that's the Christian life. Yep. We, we want ordinary Christians, mm -hmm. Christians who value the gospel, value doctrine, value the Christian life. Well, there it is. There we go. God orders our lives around his redemption. Yep in very ordinary ways, but they're actually, they, they, they trend towards the extraordinary. Yeah. We just don't see them in the minute to minute. That's right. And the way that shows up in the text, as we saw yesterday, is that the Lord is, you know, it's, it involves their calendar. It involves what they eat mm -hmm. at a particular moment. It involves the birthing of their animals and their children. These are their mundane moments, but he's ordering them in a particular way so they don't forget that he brought them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I think something that is immensely distracting to us from the way God orders our lives in the ordinary is even if you look at our fiction, mm -hmm. it's always about, we're always focused on the main character who does these fan, sure. these amazing things or these incredible circumstances. And we're just being, uh, we're, we're just being prepped to think in terms of things that are grand. Epic. Epic. Mm -hmm. That those are the things that matter, and and sometimes when I when I read some of those books, I think, well, but what about the, what about the guy on the street who has absolutely no superpowers? You, know, you think of like sure. going like think of an Avengers movie, right? And all these terrible things are happening, and the camera is following the superheroes, and you're you're part of that epic battle, but. You know who you really are? You're the guy on the street who just got hit by that car that went flying by, and you're gone yeah. in that moment. What about him? Sure. What about his epic moment? Right? You're, you're the guy who's just running, trying to stay ahead of the cloud of dust. That's you know, that's who you are. And so, and, and so we 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 for, we miss that God is in the moments of a little this little cup of juice and this little piece of bread mm -hmm. that we're eating and or, or in our ordinary church that's kind of yeah, sure. needs repairs and this isn't grand this isn't great how are we supposed to see god right. in the in these ridiculously ordinary things and yet that's what he's telling us in scripture mm -hmm. mm. good because there are no superheroes and <laughs> yeah, that's right you know the, these things aren't real what's real is is these little moments in our lives that have eternal significance amen
I think your intro was really good. Brought us to that point. I wrote preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I think I forgot what you were saying. I just thought oh, that was good. <laughs> I like wh how you talk about non-Christians. Okay. How so? You don't say non-Christians. Okay. You say not yet a Christian. Sure. I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful that the yeah. Lord will work to save people through the preaching of the word. So mm -hmm. I say it that way. Yeah. yeah. And I hope that as uh, maybe you're listening to this, you're not a Christian uh, yet. Uh, we hope and pray that would change. Or maybe you're someone from our church and you are wondering what it would be like for someone that you would invite, what their experience would be like. And so we try to be very intentional to acknowledge the fact that someone might come who does not believe the gospel, but we want to speak to you. We want to speak to them. We want to address the issues or try to address the issues or questions or things that they might think about. And hopefully by the way we do that with clarity, with directness, but with respect and love that we're giving an indication of what it is um, what it would be like for someone to show up at our church, what they would, what, how they would be treated, how they would be welcomed. Um, and that was my experience. I was a person who was not a Christian who showed up here for the very first time, and I was treated a particular way, and I'm very grateful for that. And so we hope to do that for anyone else and for this to be an environment that you can bring people who are in your family or you work with or you live beside, and they will be spoken to, but in a, in a certain way. We're not going to hold back. We're not going to beat around the bush in terms of um, sin and death and judgment, but we're also going to speak about uh, Christ and the cross and forgiveness and the invitation that God extends to us through him. So, yeah, we try to do that every sermon. We want to make sure that someone could become a Christian by listening to every sermon at our church, uh, even though every sermon is not directed to uh, someone who is not yet a Christian. But Do you try and stay away from the words unbeliever, non-Christian? You know, I I think my default is the reason I ask that question is when I refer to the Christian, I say those of us who are in Christ. Yep. Because I like I like that language. Sure. I like, yeah. You know, it's you've all been over united the to yeah, the living Savior. Mm -hmm. And then the other the other side of that is if you are not yet in Christ. Sure. Right. So yeah. I try and use that. Yeah, I think good. a bunch, especially lately. Mm. What about you? I don't typically use the language of unbeliever or non-Christian. Um, maybe I think that there are, it's a little bit unnecessarily pejorative. Like, I mean, the world divides at the cross. You can't, there's no getting Absolutely. around that. Yeah. I don't think we should try it. We can, we shouldn't get around that. But that un and non just, I just don't find it very helpful language. So no. I don't use it. I'll have to think about that. I, I use the language of in Christ a lot yeah. to refer to believers. So does Paul. And, uh, I'm in good company. Yeah, you are. But I do use the Paul term. Who? Not kidding. <laughs> That's right. That will come up later for you. <laughs> You're that guy. <laughs> Paul who? Um, Does he still have the train of thought? Yeah, uh, I yes, still have the train of okay, thought. Yeah, I, sometimes. Sometimes I click. But I still use the language of unbeliever because I guess it's, the, it's faith that connects us to Christ. But uh, I'll have to think, how, how are you... Not yet, not, not yet. Uh, how are you referring to unbelievers? If you're not I, yet need, in Christ. If you're not yet in Christ. Yeah, I need some new language to pair off with in Christ, sure. not yet in Christ. I think I often will say those who are not Christians. 
So I do yeah. use a negative, but well, how else are you going to do it? I suppose they're just picking yeah. and choosing which ones I use. But there's just a little bit more descriptor to those other ones. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I just want to think about that more because I, I still use the language of unbeliever, sure. even though I use the language of in Christ. Sure, yeah. it's good. You got some good questions from some life groups. We do. So uh, I don't know if everyone is aware of this, but one of the is a good commercial for life groups for a moment, uh, Kevin. If you want to talk about how they're set up and why they rev- why they rev- preview the sermon text and what happens over the course of a week, you want to just talk about that for a minute? Why you do that? Yeah. So what we what we do intentionally in life groups is we we are trying to connect what happens in the life group during the week with what's going on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is with the sermon text discussion. And what that that's different than a sermon discussion because what we're really looking at is the text of the sermon to come. Yep. We're reading through that text, we're observing, we're asking questions, we're preparing ourselves to hear the word preached on Sunday morning, and we're asking specific questions that the congregation has, and those are being sent to whoever's preaching, usually Sean, uh, about the particular wonderings of the group, and those are being forwarded by the coordinators of the group so that they can be addressed in the sermon, and and we're going to start addressing the ones that we don't get to here in these sure. sermon debriefs, so that so that if you're coming to church on a Sunday morning and you're saying, how do I get more involved? We can say, why don't you join a life group? But if you're being invited by a friend or a neighbor to a life group, and you're here, you're, you're participating in fellowship and prayer and hearing stories of how God is working in people's lives or how people are struggling to see God work in their lives. You're also having the sermon text discussion. And if you're wondering, well, when do these questions get answered? You say, well, why don't you come, come here, come on Sunday and, and hear the word preached? We're going we're gonna to hear a sermon on this very text. And I think the feedback I get is that people are much more engaged mm-hmm. with and prepared on a Sunday morning for having read the text and just taken yeah. a, a, a little bit of a look at it in advance in the life group setting. There's really something to be said for priming the pump, right? Which is happening in smaller pockets in the church as the text is being previewed. But even if you're not part of a life group, read the text that's being preached before you come. Read it the night before, read it the morning of, and just begin to, yeah, just familiarize yourself with it a little bit. And we do find people lean in more uh, anticipating because maybe they've had their own questions or I've always wondered about that or what's going to be said about this or it's it's really helpful. Yeah, and the church, if you're wondering, well, what is that text? How do we know? The church puts out an email every Monday yep. that lists the text that's going to be preached through on the coming Sunday and the Sunday after. That's right. So you can always know two weeks in advance yeah. what text is coming. Yeah. And then, so uh, as Kevin mentioned, those questions get sent. Um, I don't always, re- I always read those emails. I always read those questions. I don't always directly reply to the emails that come in. And then uh, I usually read them later in the week because I don't want their questions informing and driving how I should be reading the text because the text is doing that in the spirit as I'm praying and laboring and uh, getting to the, the, the meaning of the text. And that's what dictates the content and shape and tone of the sermon. Um, but I'll read them later in the week and I'll usually find there's a lot of questions that are answered implicitly or I might pull one or two and say a life group asked this, here's the answer. Um, I don't always get to all of them because don't always have time. Um, and so there's always things that don't get included in the sermon. So just very quickly, here are some that uh, were asked about 
Exodus 12, 43, down through Exodus 13, 16. Uh, one question in verse 48, it talks about, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and will keep the Passover to Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, which is really quite incredible. And so the question is, is this the first time in scripture we see God's heart for those outside of his covenant people and making a way for them to worship with them? Yes? No? What do you guys think? What would be your what would be your your uh, first response to that? Abraham. Just, Abraham, okay. Genesis 12. Uh, yeah, good. Me too. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, we certainly see, right, uh, that, that um, through Abraham and his offspring, they were to be a blessing to all nations, to all families. Um, and then actually in uh, Genesis 17, there's very particular instructions there. It says, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall, shall surely be circumcised. So there, back in Genesis 17, there is a way for those who are not uh, direct descendants of Abraham uh, to be brought into the covenant people of God, which reflects God's design to choose one nation to bless all nations, yeah. which Christ is the fulfillment of, obviously. So. Consecration of the firstborn, does God later on take the Levites for himself instead of the firstborn? Yes. Uh, Numbers 3.12, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated from my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast, they shall be mine I am Yahweh. What's so, the reference on that? Numbers 3, 5 to 8. Hmm. Uh, sorry, Numbers three twelve, And then in Numbers 3, 5 to 8, the context, we see the Levites are given to Aaron and his sons to minister at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And so they are sort of the replacement for the, um, uh, the firstborn. And so the Levites become that um, in, uh, later on in the Pentateuch. Two more, the passage indicates that only the firstborn males are redeemed. I think this came from your life group, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Is that the case? What does this say about the death of the firstborn and the 10th plague? What is the significance of redeeming firstborn males and not including females who are firstborn? So as we've gone through all of this, coming out now on the other side of the Passover with all of the instructions, I think I'm landing on that. I don't think I am. I'm landing on that it was male firstborns only. And the mm. reason, my reasoning for that, as I understand the word firstborn could include man and woman, male and female, but there seemed to be a specific reference to the male animals. Uh, Israel is the firstborn son. Uh, I will call your firstborn son. It's the, the male animals are to be redeemed. So it seems to me that it's um, the men, uh, the males and not the females. Um, what does that mean for the females? Well, at that time in, in sort of redemptive history, it was male circumcision. Um, but they were representative of the entire family. Firstborns were representative of the entire family. So I think it includes, um, it's not like only men were among the covenant people of God uh, that includes women as well. Um, so I think that's what's going on there. But It's a representative. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Last question. Why is there a sacrifice to redeem the firstborn sons, but now lambs are substituted for donkeys? Uh, what does this practice look like overall? Um, I'm just going to read... Numbers 18, 15 through 17, like um, everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to Yahweh shall be yours. 
Um, so this is speaking to the priests. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem. So there's a price being paid. And the firstborn of unclean animals, like donkeys, you shall redeem. Uh, in that case, with a lamb. And the redemption price at a month old, you shall redeem them. There's also a cost. You shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. But the firstborn of a cow or a sheep or a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. What happened to them? You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. So that's what it looked like. They would actually sacrifice those firstborn animals that were clean, and then they would redeem the children because they're not to be <laughs> sacrificed. Well, that's right, and that's that. That's an important point. Yes, is that the is that human beings were redeemed. They were never sacrificed. Mm -hmm. There was never human sacrifice right. to Yahweh. Yes, absolutely. And, and then we also see that only clean animals can be sacrificed. So therefore, useful, unclean animals have to be redeemed. They do. and God or, is, ki or simply killed. Or killed, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. But not sacrificed. Not sacrificed, yeah. that's right. So, yeah. God regulates our worship to revolve everything around redemption. That was it for questions. I love them. If you're in a life group, keep them coming. Uh, hopefully we can answer as many as we get. I love how much we've learned about the ordinances over the past few weeks. Sure. And so, like, the whole background of the Lord's Supper, we said, is reinterpreted by Christ yep. in the Gospels. So he's sitting at that Passover meal the night before he's betrayed, uh, the night that he's betrayed. And uh, he says, you know, this is my body broken for you, do this in remembrance. Oh, there we go. There's the bread. And then there's the cup, the new covenant in his blood. Yep. And I love how, again, in this text, there is um, something to be learned about the ordinances. Sure. There's an order to them. And, uh, and that was seen by first understanding the passage in its context, yep. right? You must be circumcised in order to... Eat the Passover. Eat the Passover. And then us bringing that into a new covenant context yes. and seeing the progression that's taken place over salvation history and saying, okay, now, now, now here's what that means for baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Uh, can you just maybe explain that just a little bit further? That was just a good moment in the sermon. Sure. Yeah, I almost didn't include that. Um, some of these passages are, are sort of thick or dense in the sense that they're farther removed from us in our cultural, historical context, uh, or certainly our covenantal context. And so it takes a, takes a bit of time to explain um, and to work through them. And so uh, I'm, I'm just seeing in uh, Exodus 12 that, again, as you mentioned, there's an ordering of these things. There's an initiation rite of, of entering into the covenant relationship with the Lord uh, in the old covenant. That was circumcision. And then that Passover meal uh, where God is redeeming um, and a lamb is being sh uh, killed and blood is being shed uh, on our behalf. Before we participate in that, we have to en we enter into a relationship with the Lord. And I, it's the same in, in the new, new Covenant as well. I don't know if this is what you're driving at, but there's an initiation rite. Uh, we enter into relationship with the Lord uh, through faith in his Son as, and then expressed in baptism. Um, and uh, which symbolizes uh, something of significance of the relationship we have. Um, so, yeah, there's an ordering. Uh, both of the covenants have this initiation rite and uh, an ordering to these things, and uh, so it is in the gospel. So. I didn't grow up 
thinking that or or knowing that. Okay. So, you know, in the context that I grew up in, and I don't know, I don't know what you guys have grown up in, but there was never any sort of like order to the ordinances mm, spoken mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. There was sort of like a you know get baptized when you're mature enough and sure. take the Lord's supper when sure. you're mature enough. Sure, like just sort yep. of. No, no sort of thresholds. No, like here's some wisdom on sure. how to do this. Um, I never heard that there was an order to the ordinances until uh, an older gentleman from this church, who's no longer with us, mm-hmm. started to you know kind of explain this. And I right. was going, ah, is that is that there? Is that right? Is that true? Is, is there a text? <laughs> sure. But it is theologically compelling as we look at the scriptures. Baptism is done once. It is done at the start of the Christian life, as we look at you know the Book of Acts and you know yes. um, all the information that we have about baptism. And just to underline that for a minute, because I think that that may seem very um, like sort of obvious to us to connect baptism to salvation and not sanctification. But many people connect it to sanctification. That's right. So let's just underline that again for a moment. That no, this is initiation. It's not a spiritual maturity degree that one must reach before they're baptized. You believe you should be baptized, period. Uh, so anyway, but keep going. I just want to highlight that. What qualifies you for baptism? Faith in the living Savior. That's right. Jesus Christ. That's right. Period. Yeah. There's like that, that's it. The end. Yes. Yeah. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've not been baptized. You should amend that. And we believe you should amend that before you participate in the Lord's Supper because we believe that's the initiation right. Now, not all Christians do come out that way. Um, I think there's good reason to believe that, though. So you have this sort of precursor to it in Exodus yeah, from this last week, and then you see that the Lord's Supper is to be repeated regularly, yes. right? Some churches do it quarterly. I think that's too far spread out. Sure. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. They're still doing it regularly in some form. There's, you know... Churches that do it once a month. There's churches that do it every week. Yep. But it's we're to remember Christ, yes. this new covenant sacrifice, Jesus Christ, regularly. And so this is the ongoing right. This sure. is the ongoing, right. tangible, visible expression of the gospel That's celebrated right. in the local assembly. Yeah, for sure. So a, a question that might come up here it came to my mind. Here it asked occasionally. So we make that we make that sound so simple. You believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you ought to be baptized. But then why do we take so long? Why Why do we have classes? Why Why do we have this extended period of teaching and examination then? How do we... How do we dovetail those two? Do you want to address that, Caleb? Absolutely. We try not to delay people too much, but what we do try and do is grab a hold of someone who, like, there's clearly something going on in their heart, the Spirit's at work in them, and mm-hmm. say, we want to disciple you. We want you to to help you understand what baptism is. Yes. We, in our as part of our baptism class, we, we explain the Lord's Supper, and then we also, we've tied baptism and, and membership yep. to, together, not, not artificially, not just because we, we, we like that, to, sure. but because you're, you're baptized into something. You're baptized into accountability in the local church. And you're saying something to the congregation that's sitting there. You're saying, I want your accountability. I have, you know, died, been buried, and risen with Jesus Christ. That has taken place, and and I need you to hold me to account and to love me and to one another me, as the New Testament would say. And the congregation is saying something back to you, like, we, we will do that, sure. and we want you to do that for us. 
right? So there's, there, there's that membership component. And so we want to tie those things together. And so often, you know, when you start to talk about things like membership, you, you, you get people thinking about like Costco, you know, I've got a membership at Costco, or I've got a membership at the gym. And, you know, we default think about these other memberships in life. And typically what we need as, you know, New Testament Christians is just a little bit of education on, no, 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 here's how church membership is completely different. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're actually, even through your baptism, drawing a line in the sand. And 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 you're 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 putting a target on your back, as it were. You're saying, I believe in the living resurrected Lord. I want to follow him. I want the church's accountability. I, I want to participate in this ongoing rite of the Lord's Supper. Like there's just so much that's being said. And we just want to help that person who has the work of the, the spirits working in their heart, want to help that person see some of those facets. Sure. Prior to being, and, and not just baptized. see those things about membership in the local church, but even to see those things about baptism, and to see those things about what does faith in the living Savior Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Because we live in a world in which some of that same language is used to mean very different things. Exactly, and so there's a lot, I, of, there's a lot of baptismal confusion. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. There's a lot of confusion about what it means to believe and follow him. And so we have to be clear on those things and make sure the people that are being baptized into membership in our local church, uh, that we are asking our members to affirm uh, that we understand that this is a credible profession of faith as far as we can discern that because we're not infallible. But yeah, we have to go through that process because of the confusion and uh, things like that that exist. So. So it's both, on the one hand, very simple, and yet there's a great deal of clarity that needs to be yes. attained, and so there's a process. That's right. The, the worst thing that we can do is confirm someone in a state of unbelief mm. and then think that they're a Christian when they're not. That would, be, that would be horrendous as far as outcome goes. And so we want, we want to make sure that we don't do that. And so, yeah, we're, we're careful, we're thoughtful, we're, um, but at the same time, you know, you say classes, it's not like it's three six months or, you know, it's not a degree <laughs> or it's not a, uh, it's several weeks. It's conversations with elders at our church and, uh, and we move as quickly as is wise uh, in those uh, situations. Which varies right from person to person. Absolutely. We'll, we will never do, I, I mean, I don't want to absolutize, but our, our practice is not someone comes up to us after church on Sunday and says, let's open the tank and let's get sure. baptized. Yep. That, that is unwise, sure. largely. Yep. Why? Because we want to sit down with that person and hear what they have faith in and yep. what's going on in their life. And so spontaneous baptisms don't tend to be the most helpful Sure. Certainly in our context, if we were in Iran and someone came and said, I want to be baptized, well, that's a different story because they understand what that means. That's right. My friend and there. so, yeah. So if they're saying, oh, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, okay, I think they have a pretty good idea of what it is that they're signing up for. They've counted the cost, obviously, if they're, you know, so that might be a little bit different. But in our context, when there's all sorts of things, uh, confusion and teaching and false teaching and those types of things, I think it's uh, it's just good shepherding for us to uh, consider these things. So, well, we ended up in a conversation about the ordinances. I think rightly so because of the text <laughs> that we uh, were discussing a little bit uh, here, and uh, these are the kinds of ways that these pastoral conversations go. So you're kind of getting a 
uh, a listen in on what life is like on Monday afternoons at Hesper Baptist Church. Kevin. Uh, one one summary piece that I wrote down, I, I don't remember if I was quoting you from the sermon or if I, if I was just bringing elements together that you were saying, but I wrote down rendering, right, rendering to God brings remembrance as all of life revolves around redemption. And that's just the way I, I think of tying all the points that you made together, sure, sure. that even as we render things to God, we do it because it causes remembrance. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which is important because all of life revolves around That's redemption. Right. That's right. Both the, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the consecration was to be as marks, as signs, as, as recalls for the fact that Six times in the text repeated, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's what it's all about. Can I talk a little bit about application, the applications that came out? Sure. So uh, I really appreciated the the application. You, you, you know, as, uh, as you talked about ways in which we can remember and ways in which we can re- render, and you went to Romans 12 and you... Uh, and, and you listed a number of things, sure. and I thought that that was really helpful to get people thinking about their own personal contexts of of remembering and rendering. and 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 I would have uh, the question I wrote down for myself is to to walk away from the sermon. I was hoping what people would do is walk away looking at their own lives and saying, "How do how do we render ourselves? Sure. How do I render myself?" Personally, sure. what what areas in my life, what do I have going on in my life that I can render to the Lord? Uh, and it's because um, just as I think of how we are particularly made, and we have we're given particular circumstances sure. and gifts and, and resources. gifts and resources that there are particular ways that we can render to God that others others will have other ways. That's right. So how do we do that personally? And let's be thinking about that. And then how do we how do we how do we live? How do we eat? How do we work? How do we study? How do we play? How do we use money? How do we see ourselves? You listed all of those things, and I'm thinking we need to think about that individually. Yes. How is how does my work, my play? Yes. You know, and and it would do us uh, our credit to to be thinking in ways in which we ought to remember in our in our regular routine of life and how we are to render ourselves. Uh, to God in order to uh, to really uh, apply this sermon to ourselves. Sure. And the more we think that through and remember, the more that we will delight to do so. Because mm-hmm. let's remember what we're remembering. We've been saved from our sin and death and judgment and hell and redeemed. And we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High by His grace and kindness so when we think about it that way, why would mm-hmm. we not want to render everything that he's given to us back to him? Yeah. Uh, so it's um, yeah, it's important that we remember what we're remembering in that, and it's good. Rendering is a response, yeah, as opposed to the precursor to redemption. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and by God's grace, as we grow in Christ, what we ought to do and what we want to do become closer and closer together in all these different areas of life that you're talking about. It it really it really is the fleshing out of you, you had mentioned this earlier, uh, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do yes. all the glory of God. Th- this is what that is. That's right. It's a fleshing right. out of yeah. what that looks like yeah, for sure.
And it's good. I appreciate the way that you're pressing us to think about that personally. It would be good for us to think about that congregationally as well as a, as a whole. Uh, how do we do that? And, uh, you know, you could keep going down that list, but you only have so much time in the sermon and you have a very broad general audience. And so hopefully by God's spirit, the fruit of a sermon is the... When a sermon ends, I really think of it as the beginning. What fruit will the Lord bear from his word being sown, his word being watered? And we hope and pray that it is transformation of life. Yeah. So not only are we to think of this ourselves about about this ourselves, we're to help each other think about it. That's right. Think it That's through right. and even challenge each other. Yes. Uh, when we uh, and how we're living, what we're doing, to be able to say, how are, how are we thinking about the Lord? How are we glorifying the Lord in this? Yes. How are we thinking of him and remembering him in these things? Absolutely. And we hope this conversation is helpful and spurring on those considerations. So thank you again for joining us. I think we'll wrap up there. Appreciate your input, brothers. Excellent. Just expressing appreciation for...